With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, how are you today? My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means there's something in my eye. It's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi. My name is Bailey Sarian, and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin, and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button because I'm here for you on Mondays. Let's get into today's story. So, Julie Kibuishi, she was born on Valentine's Day in 1987. She was the first daughter to her mother, June, and her father, Masa. She was the baby girl that they had been dreaming of. She was treated like a princess of the house, but growing up with two brothers, it brought out more of like the tomboy traits, you know? She was super athletic and it was said that she loved sports, but when she was five years old, that's when she really got into dance and dance became like her passion. She did every kind of dance. She did tap dance lyrical jazz and ballet. Plus her artistic passions really didn't stop with dance. She was just like overall a very artistic girl. She loved design and she also enrolled at Orange Coast College in Southern California as an art major while living at home with her parents. So on Friday, May 21st, 2010, Julie told her mom that she was headed to Long Beach to meet with her brother for dinner to help him and his fiance plan for their wedding. Um, she told her mother not to stay up because she'd probably, you know, she wouldn't be home till late. So she says, bye mom, love you, and then heads out the door. And then that was the last time June saw her daughter alive. So while at dinner with her brother and soon to be sister, in law Julie her phone kept going off because she was getting text messages from her friend Sam Hare now the text messages suggested that Sam was having some kind of family problem and he just needed like a, a shoulder to cry on I think the text said something along the lines of quote just needed a girl's shoulder to cry on Julie told her brother about Sam saying that he was just a friend but that he was like a big brother and that if he got the chance to meet Sam, he would definitely like him. Now, Sam was the only child of Steve and Raquel, and he was a decorated combat veteran in the US Army. He had served in Afghanistan, and Sam had come home and enrolled in college so that he could get his degree and go back into the Army because he really liked to travel. His father would describe him as a big glute. He was one week shy of his 27th birthday, and Sam Sam and Julie, they were, again, they were just friends. Sam was like a big brother to everyone and always there for anyone who needed him. He was just like an all around good person, it sounded like. And Julie ended up tutoring Sam in anthropology and she helped Sam get an A in, in that class. And Julie, she was very loving and a, and a giving person, the kind of person who would bend over backwards for a friend. So they just really cared about each other. But Julie was feeling a little concerned about Sam because of 
the texts that she had received. So she tells her brother like, hey, I'm gonna go over to Sam's apartment and kind of see what's going on with him because he doesn't seem like he's doing too well. So she ends up leaving her brother's place and she heads out to Sam's apartment. So the next morning comes along, it was Saturday morning and Julie wasn't home. So her mom wasn't like immediately worried, but you know, she sent out a text to Julie asking like, hey, where are you at? But she knew that like if Julie had been drinking at all, she would often stay at her brother's place cause you know, don't drink and drive. So she wasn't like too worried. She just needed to figure out where she was at. But when Julie still wasn't home around noon, that's when June texted her daughter again and she didn't get a response. So she's like, okay, like what's going on? So she calls her daughter and the phone just rings and rings and then it just goes to voicemail. So that's when June was like really started to get worried because it's just unlike her daughter, you know? So June called her son to see if he knew where Julie was. And that's when she learned that Julie had gone to Sam's that night. So she doesn't have Sam's number, but June had a list of Julie's friends' phone numbers. So she's like, okay, maybe I can like, you know, call them all up and somebody has to have Sam's number or maybe somebody knows where like Julie is at. So she goes down the list and she starts contacting everyone she can. Now, nobody had seen Julie and her mom said that she had that that like sickening feeling in her stomach, you know, when something is just not right, you know. So when she couldn't get a hold of her daughter, figure out where her daughter was at, she decides to call the Irvine police to place a missing persons report. But Julie wasn't the only person not responding to calls or text messages. On Saturday, May 22nd, Sam was also supposed to like spend the weekend with his family. Saturday came and his family had not heard from him. Like, where's he at? You know, hours go by, they try to call him, but the calls are just going straight to voicemail, okay? weird, you know? So Sam's father, he had a key to Sam's apartment in Costa Mesa. So he was like, okay, maybe I'm just, I'll just go down there and like see if Sam's there. Maybe he lost his phone, maybe whatever, you know, let me just go down there. So his dad goes down there and what he finds is just an awful scene, something he did not expect. So his dad goes out there, right? Cool, so he lets himself in and when he first walks in, that's when he finds a young woman lying face down on Sam's bed with a gunshot wound to her head. Some of her clothes had been like ripped off. She was also wearing like a tiara, which is just so weird, but there was also a message that was written on her clothing. It was on the back of her sweatshirt. It said, quote, all yours, fuck you. I know. Creepy. And so Steve, obviously horrified, he calls 911 immediately and he's just hysterical, poor guy. I mean, any of us would be, right? I would hope. But there was no sign of Sam. It was odd, it was weird. So the young woman was identified as Julie. On her cell phone, police found text messages between Sam and Julie asking for her to come over. Back at Julie's house, police were questioning June about her missing daughter because they came over for the missing person report. So the police are already over there, you know, getting some information and whatnot. And then I guess like one of the police officers, they like step out, they go to the police car and like they're in there for quite a bit. And the police officer comes back and June, Julie's mom said that he looked different, he sounded different. And to her, something, something wasn't right, you know? The only thing that June could think was, oh gosh, you know, was Julie in a car accident? Did something happen to her? Sadly, the officer told her that they found Julie in Sam's apartment and 
all June could say was like, no, 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 that wasn't her, no. But it was Julie. Police found Julie's purse and her ID at the scene. To police, it seemed pretty cut and dry, a pretty cut and dry case, I should say. It seemed that Sam had raped and killed Julie and was now like on the run. Despite the family's claims that the relationship was platonic, detectives wondered if the message on Julie's sweatshirt was alluding to some kind of love triangle gone wrong. But the fact that Sam wasn't there made detectives and police think that he was just on the run. Sam also had a bit of a criminal past. At the age of 18, Sam had gotten mixed up with like a rough crowd that included different members of different gangs, I guess. And in this group, there was a person murdered and then there was like another person who was killed in connection to that. So Sam, along with 23 other people, they were arrested and charged with murder. Sam was eventually acquitted, but with this little brush with the law confirmed police's suspicion that Sam was probably responsible for Julie's murder. So his father understood that Sam is going to be the primary suspect because, I mean, hello, Julie is found in his apartment, murdered. Steve understands like, okay, it's not looking good for Sam, but he had this gut feeling that Sam was not the one who did it. So Steve took it upon himself to prove his son's innocence because police are already like, okay, Sam's the one who did this. It's in his apartment. He texted her to come over, Sam did it. But his father is like, heck no, I'm gonna do some investigating myself and make sure and prove that Sam didn't do it. I feel like I made that way more complicated than it needed to be, but you get it. So Steve starts calling all of Sam's friends. None of them had seen or heard from Sam. They all wanted to help though. So they were like, here are some phone numbers of different friends to call. And Steve called those friends. One of those people that he spoke to was Sam's neighbor who lived in the same apartment complex as Sam. And it was a guy by the name of Daniel Wozniak. So he calls him up. He's like, yeah, I saw Sam on Friday, but I really haven't heard from him since. On May 24th, Steve was able to get access to Sam's bank account records. And immediately he noticed that there was money being withdrawn from one bank on three different days. It was being withdrawn from an ATM next to a pizzeria in Long Beach, not far from Sam's apartment. There was also a charge from the restaurant on the card as well. So somebody was eating some pizza and getting some cash, you know, very suspicious. So Steve goes down to the location of the bank and the pizza place and he's just waiting outside to see if anyone, someone is coming, going. I don't know, maybe he's he's looking for Sam, maybe Sam's around or his car. He's just thinking if his son is on the run, maybe he could at least spot him, talk some common sense into him before everything came crashing down, you know? So he's just sitting there, he's just waiting, but unfortunately, like no luck, no sign of Sam. On Tuesday morning, Steve called back some of Sam's friends. And when he called up Dan Wozniak again, this time it was kind of strange because Dan changed his story. Like, you know, if you're not lying about something, then your story doesn't need to change. So this time Dan said that Sam told him he was having family problems. Now, Steve knew right off the bat that this Dan guy was lying because Steve and Sam, father, son, extremely close, okay? Their relationship, super tight. 
As far as he knew, there was no issue going on between him and his son, nor with any of the family members. So try again, you know, like that's not right, Dan. Dan, no. Steve's little detective work got his senses tingling when he realized that out of all the phone numbers he had called, Dan's phone number was the only one that had a Long Beach area code. Hmm, the same area or the same area code of the ATM and the pizza restaurant. So it doesn't like say a lot, but at the same time it gets, it, it like got that little gut feeling of like, hmm, something ain't right. So police were able to get security footage from the ATM machine. So the security tape showed that the someone went to the ATM machine, right? It was a young white male, somewhere between the age of 17 to 20. They were wearing a, a baseball hat, using Sam's card to withdraw money from Sam's bank account. It was shown that whoever this person was, was not Sam. So it was actually this kid named Wesley. They're like, great, who the heck is this Wesley guy? So once they're able to ID who this person is, police are able to get the whole shebang. Two police cars, an FBI van, and a helicopter were all dispatched to go to this Wesley guy's house, believing that he was helping hide Sam or maybe helped Sam in some kind of way. Now, when they show up to Wesley's, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa whoa, hold on, you know, like this is a little much. Wesley was like, he got the wrong guy. So obviously he's freaked out. Like, I don't know what the heck is going on. This guy, Dan Wozniak, he approached me and asked me if I could withdraw money from his bank for him because he was busy or something and he couldn't get the money himself. And that's why I, I went to the ATM. So investigators are like, well, how do you know this Dan guy? And Wesley was like, oh, Dan, yeah. Dan and I know each other way back when from like middle school. Dan was a part of some local theater group where his mom was a teacher and that Dan was a fantastic guy, just one of those guys that you wanted to be around because he was so kind and he could make everybody and anybody laugh. So when Dan asked him if he could do this favor, Wesley had no reason to believe that there was any issue, you know? Well, both Wesley and Steve were pointing the fingers at Dan. Police charged Dan with accessory to murder of Julie and arrested him in hopes of Dan giving them information on where like Sam was at. So Dan was getting married in a few days and he was actually having his bachelor party when police came in and arrested him. I know. He probably thought like the police were hired strippers or something. Nay, nay. It was a real deal. He was like, am I under arrest officer? I've been real bad. Oh. And like he was really actually under arrest. So Dan gets arrested. Now who's this Dan guy? Well, let me tell you. Dan Wozniak was 26 year old community theater actor and a part of the local theater company. People often described him as a super nice guy. He was good looking and very personable. Now he was engaged. His fiance, her name was Rachel Buffett. They had met each other when Dan was doing a play. She was also an actress and she worked as a Disney princess at Disneyland. The two had fell in love and in 2008, Dan proposed. During questioning, Dan repeatedly told cops that he had nothing to do with anything, but over time, his story started to change. He did admit to police that he had manipulated Wesley into making the ATM withdrawals from Sam's account. He said it was for Sam, but then later Dan told police that Sam confessed to Dan that he had killed Julie in his apartment upstairs. Now Dan said that Sam threatened him 
And if he didn't help him escape, you know, he was going to come for him next or something. But Dan swore up and down that he had nothing to do with Julie's murder. We don't believe you, Dan. We don't believe you. Your story's changed like a whole bunch. So during interrogation, so they asked Dan, hey, can you give us some spit? You know, we're going to do some DNA testing. And then Dan all of a sudden was like, whoa, actually, I got a different story for you. You know, hey, new story. <laughs> I hate people. This time he claimed he stopped by Sam's apartment and he discovered Julie's body, okay? Saying when he went inside, he saw two bullet holes in her head. Now, this was a little light bulb moment to police because you see, you could only see one exit gunshot wound um, on Julie. The second gunshot wound was covered, sorry to get graphic, but it was like covered with like brain matter and it was only discovered during the autopsy. So nobody even knew that there was two, but Dan did all of a sudden, weird, you know? So with this information, it was clear that Dan must have been there when Julie was killed because nobody would know that. Dan, Rachel, Dan's fiance, she was brought in for questioning and her behavior was really odd. Now there's a lot of debate around her because they brought her in and they're like, hey, you know, your fiance was under arrest for covering up a murder, okay? Now they thought it was strange because her reaction was just kind of like, oh yeah? Weird, like she was not, it just was just like a normal day for her. Like she wasn't shocked at all. And they were like, okay, well, if somebody got this information, wouldn't you be a little shocked that your fiance may be involved with some kind of murder situation? I mean, for, for Christ's sake, she's an actress. Couldn't she at least pretend to be a little shocked that her fiance may be involved with a murder? But instead she was like, oh, Weird, uh -huh. that's so crazy that he might be involved, but okay, so strange. So she claimed that she knew nothing, okay? But her story was all over the place. She was saying that she had not seen Sam at all. Then she later mentioned seeing a mystery friend at Sam's apartment. Her story just wasn't lining up. It just wasn't making sense. Something, was, something wasn't right, but they also just didn't know what. So Dan was arrested and he was sent in jail. Now he was able to make a phone call. That's how stupid this guy is. He's such an idiot, I swear to you. So he's able to make a phone call. He calls his fiance, bing, 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 hello, you know, hey. So he calls up his fiance, Rachel. So Rachel tells Dan that she spoke to his brother, Tim, that Tim told her that Dan had given him a backpack of evidence. In this backpack were shell casings from Julie's murder, Sam's wallet, Sam's ID, Sam's checkbook, and Sam's bloody clothes. So Dan gave this, all this stuff, so he put it in a backpack and then gave it to his brother, Tim. And then Tim told Rachel on the phone. Now on the phone, Dan is begging her to not tell police about this evidence against him. And she's like, Dan, yeah, the prison that you're calling me from, all of their conversations are being recorded. So, not, okay, you know, he's just like stupid. <laughs> Sorry, he's an idiot. So she tells Dan over the phone 
that as soon as they get off the phone that she was calling detectives and like you can hear in Dan's voice he's just worried scared he sounds like a little baby but also some believe that she was just saying that because she knew that the phone call was being recorded and she was kind of pretending like she didn't know but that's up for debate really but Dan over here just sounds like a little bitch. If you're gonna murder somebody, the least you could do is own up to it instead of being a little bitch. So shortly after this phone call with his fiance, Dan said that he knew the jig was up, okay? He just like knew it was over for him. So he asked to speak to the police. So they come in, they bring him in for questioning and or they bring him into the interrogation room and then Dan said something no one expected. He told police, quote, he was crazy and that he did it. So police are like, can you please like clarify what you mean by you did it? Because you know, we need more information obviously. So Dan confessed to killing Julie and Sam. So where the hell was Sam? So this new information threw police for a loop because Sam was not on the run for Julie's murder at all. He was a victim himself. Now Dan's confession to the murders confirmed Steve's belief that his son was innocent all along, but it now was just gonna bring like a lot of devastating news as to like what really happened. So, Dan walked the police through everything. Dan said that he was desperate for money. He was behind on two months rent and had an elaborate wedding coming up um, and it was only weeks away. They also had planned a very elaborate honeymoon and Dan simply just didn't have money to pull all of this off. But he didn't tell his fiance this. She thought everything was rainbows and lollipops. Nay, nay he didn't have any money. Dan knew that Sam had $60,000 in savings from combat pay. It was stored away from his days in the army. And at some point he mentioned it to Dan. So Dan's plan was to kill Sam and get the money from Sam's bank account. Use it for his wedding and his honeymoon. Great, no one will know. I'll get away scot-free. Like, what a stupid plan. Dan told police that he texted Sam that he needed help moving things at the theater in Fullerton where he was performing. Sam was like, sure, I'll help you out. And he arrives to the theater. Dan's like, hey, will you come up with me to the attic to help me move something really quick? It's heavy, can't do it myself. Sam was like, sure. So they go up to the attic. They're in this like area. Dan's like, it's this thing. I don't really remember what it was, but Sam bends down to pick whatever it was up, that's when Dan shot him in the back of his head. Now, he said that after the first shot, Sam was still alive and he was asking for help, saying that something hit him in the head, it felt like an electric shock. So instead of helping, Dan reloaded and fired again, this time killing him in the theater attic. Now, Dan leaves him there, he goes home before returning to the theater with Rachel for that evening's performance of the show Nine, which they were both starring in. <laughs> yeah, so the show went on. They're performing on stage as one does. I don't know what they, boop, 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 you know? And Dan is acting as if nothing happened. It was like a great performance, they said, whatever. Meanwhile, Sam's body was like right above them in the attic. Beep it off, boop. Like what? What is wrong with people? I don't understand. 
So then Dan told investigators that he killed Julie to cover his own tracks. He created this elaborate story that he wanted to frame Sam as killing Julie and then he fled. So after killing Sam, that's when he took, he took Sam's phone, he texted Julie to come over to Sam's apartment and said like, oh, I'm having family problems. So Julie goes to the apartment Dan came up to her. He was like accidentally just ran into her. And he was like, oh my God, that's so funny. Like I'm here too. Sam just called me and said like, he's going through some stuff, but um, I have a key and I can let you into his apartment. He really had to fucking plan this shit, you know? So he has this the key to the Sam's apartment. Julie's there. He opens up the apartment. They both go inside. Dan lets Julie in. They hang out for a bit. When they were in the apartment, Dan called over to Julie and like, hey, come here. Cause he's like in Sam's bedroom. He's like, hey, come here, come over here. I see something really weird, come here. And so Julie comes over and he's like, oh my, Dan's like, oh my God, look over there by the bed. There's something over there. You should go check it out. Julie goes over there and she's leaning over to whatever it is Dan was said he saw. And when she's leaning over, Dan shoots Julie in the back of the head and then he staged the crime to make it look like a rape to throw the police off. I just hate him. Cause like, okay, what was, just so, he's he's doing all of this. This is the most selfish person ever, right? Cause he's doing all of this just so he can get money for a wedding. Why don't you get a damn job, Dan and Rachel? Why don't you guys get some fucking work or something instead of getting married? bunch of losers I hate them so then as if it doesn't get any more fucked up because it totally does so then the next day after the murders Dan said that he went back to the theater he went up to the attic and he dismembered Sam's body what in the fucked up is going on around here Dan said that he dismembered Sam's body which is like a little extreme, but Dan was saying, as if this justifies it in some way, that he couldn't get him out of the attic without people noticing, right? Like if he's carrying a dead body out, it might be a little obvious. So he's like, let me dismember him, cut him up. That makes way more sense to me in my dumbass brain. And then Dan told police that he remembers smiling and laughing because he had just reached a point where he couldn't even believe what he was doing anymore. So he just found the whole thing hilarious. Anyways, so he ended up leaving Sam's torso and other limbs in the attic because um, he just couldn't take it down yet. So he disposed of Sam's head, hands, and tattooed forearm in the El Dorado Park in Long Beach. He tells this to police and detectives end up going out to the park and to the theater and they find Sam's remains um, on what would have been his 27th birthday. Talk about fucked up. Sadly though, animals had gotten to pieces of his body in the park and one of his hands was never found. Sam was given a hero's burial with full military honors and Daniel Wozniak was officially charged with two counts of first degree murder. During the trial, a witness named Chris Williams came forward and told police that he had been at Daniel's and Rachel's apartment the day Sam was murdered. He said that he loaned the couple some money and was there to collect it. Daniel or Dan must have known about Sam's savings account and asked Sam for a loan so he could pay back 
Chris. So together they went to go pick up the cash while Chris stayed behind with Rachel. Three hours later, Dan returned alone with $400 and gave it to Chris. Later during questioning, Rachel maintained that Sam was still alive during this exchange. Both Rachel and Dan's brother, Tim, were arrested and charged with accessory after the fact. Tim Wozniak, Dan's brother, he pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact for hiding Dan's backpack full of the evidence, which included, again, the shell casings from Julie's murder, Sam's wallet, Sam's ID, his checkbook, and his bloody clothes. So he testified against his brother as a part of a plea agreement. Now, Dan's defense attorney was trying to shift the blame onto Rachel, the fiance, saying that she was the one who wanted the expensive wedding, that she was the one who was smarter of the two, and she was involved. Many speculated how did she not know what happened when she was brought in for questioning, her reaction was off, like things just didn't add up with Rachel. But she stood by the fact that she was innocent, um, that she did not know anything. Uh, she was just, she didn't know. She would later go on the Dr. Phil show and she was like giving an exclusive interview while she was out in bail. She was like, oh my God, I didn't know anything. I'm not a damn thing. And I don't know, you know. <laughs> but she claimed that she too was a victim of dance saying that she had wished she never met him. Like, I wanna believe her. When you watch the interviews and stuff, you want to believe her, but at the same time, it's like, something ain't right. Hmm, something ain't right. Something is not right. I get accused a lot in the comment section of being a victim blamer, because sometimes I'll call out people like this, where I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I'm a victim blamer. I just think something ain't right. That's it, you know? Like, damn. Anyways, so detectives also interviewed an ex-boyfriend of Rachel's who said that when Rachel was drunk, so Rachel was drunk one night. She was like, oh my God, ah, ah, and she accidentally thought that the ex-boyfriend was Dan, Daniel, her fiance, and she blurted out, I told you to burn the body. This is what the ex-boyfriend testified. Now there's an added level of creepiness to the statement because behind the theater where Sam's murder took place was an old military hospital with a morgue and an incinerator. Rachel, she continued to deny that she had anything to do with the murder. After six years of trials, the DA did not have enough evidence to support a murder charge, but Rachel was convicted of accessory to murder for lying to police and sentenced to only 32 months in prison. Sam's father, Steve, he feels that justice was not served. He think, or he thought that Rachel was let off easy and she should have been charged with murder as well. You know what? I guess there's really not much you can charge her with because there was really no evidence linking her to the murder unless Dan wanted to come out and and um take her down with him you know so I guess yeah sorry I'm just like really thinking about it now I'm like as much as I I want to believe that she's involved there's really no evidence besides her saying like you should have burned the body I feel like that's but you can't accuse someone on that. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. So they ended up having like 200 hearings over the span of six years and only two hours of jury deliberation. 
Daniel Wozniak was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to capital punishment in September of 2016. Currently, Daniel Wozniak is still waiting on death row for his sentence to be carried out, with the likelihood of that happening anytime soon is like slim to none because, you know, there have been challenges over California's death penalty and no one has been executed since 2006. And there are over 750 inmates on death row at San Quentin where um, Dan is currently sitting. So the chances of him actually, you know, he's probably going to die in, in prison, which I believe that's a fair, I believe that's worse than the death penalty. Do you think that? I need to know. Do you think that? Because some people are all about the death penalty and I'm like, look, sitting for the rest of your damn life in prison, that to me sounds way worse than the death penalty. Anyways, Rachel and Tim have both finished their sentences and just continue to live their life. The end. This is what happens when you are an idiot. What a dumbass. What a selfish piece of garbage. He killed two people so he can have money to get married? Huh? Your wedding is not that special, babe. No, it ain't. I'm sorry. Go get hitched. Go to Vegas. There you go. Now you're not in prison. Don't be an idiot. I hate people. I cannot believe... I just don't understand how one day you can snap and just murder two people and then dismember them in the attic. Like there was no red flags with this guy. Really? People stress me out. I just, and you know what's sad? Both of them are actresses or actors and they couldn't even act. They suck. I don't know what we can take away from this other than I'm sorry that people freaking suck, man. Julie and Sam seemed like just really great people that were just taken and it's not fair. For what? For someone's wedding? Ugh, God, how dumb. What an idiot. Oh God, what a stupid, what a stupid man, this damn Wozniak guy, I'm sorry. But he's stupid and I hope he rots in prison forever. And if the wife was involved, karma, karma is real. It really is, ma'am, and it'll get ya. But only if you did it. If you didn't do it, then you should be fine. So that one's on you, girl. Anyways, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You make good choices. Please make good choices. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.